This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Hello, hello, parents. Welcome back to the Parenting ADHD podcast. I am going to talk to you today about meltdowns. And I want to talk about not only the difference between a tantrum and a meltdown, but I also want to talk to you about what to do when you have um, an intense outburst or a meltdown. What can you do to prevent those? What can you do to end them? What can you do to kind of soften what is happening um, there? So lots of different aspects to really discuss as far as meltdowns. So first, let's tackle what is a tantrum and what is a meltdown? A tantrum is a fit that someone throws with a particular outcome in mind and they are aware of safety and they are in control of their um, behavior. So they can turn that tantrum off and on right away, lickety split, like a switch. That's a tantrum. And on the flip side, a meltdown, while it can start as a tantrum, a meltdown is different because in a meltdown, your child can not just turn it off and on. And what I equate it to is their brain being hijacked. Basically, when your child is in the throes of a meltdown, their brain is just flooded. It's kind of cycling in a stuck place and they do not have control over it. So they may not be aware of the safety of themselves or others. And that would be your primary concern in a meltdown if your child appears to not be um, safe or the people around them are not safe. That's going to be your top priority. But barring that, there are other things that you can do if that is not an issue. But so the first time I understood what a meltdown really was, and I've written about this event in two of my four books, um, we went to the Goodwill store. And it's not some place that we usually go. We had some time to kill. And I was looking for picture frames that I could paint and use on the cheap. And so we needed to kill some time in between um, a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese and having dinner somewhere. And it was only like 430. So it was just too early for dinner. Um, And, you know, so, you know, we had been snowed in in our home for 
the past six days prior to that. Three of those days, we had no electricity, no water, no heat. You know, we were kind of roughing it in our living room floor with a foot of snow outside. So, you know, both of my kids were very anxious to get out of the house. We were going to my niece's birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, and my son had a wonderful time. He had great behavior. He didn't get super overwhelmed. He took breaks. You know, the, it was great. He was, I want to say, eight, probably at that point, seven or eight years old. And so, you know, we had been eating whatever we could scrounge out of our pantry and try to cook per the flame on the top of our um, stove for a week. So we thought it would be very lovely to go and have dinner somewhere as a family. And so we were killing time and we go into the Goodwill store. And, you know, one thing you have to understand about stores like that, that don't have a lot of very structured display is that they can really be very overwhelming and irritating to our kids' brains. Kids with ADHD, autism, sensory processing, it can really kind of almost just light them up um, and really put them on edge. And it's really interesting that that happens. So, and I, and I didn't really realized that at the time. But, you know, everybody was in a good mood. I was going to breeze through, see if there were some picture frames, walk out. I told the kids they could each pick a few books if they found some books they wanted because we had just gone and they had spent their allowance and purchased toys already. So I'm looking around and of course my son comes to me and he wants a toy and he is adamant that he needs to have this toy truck, it's only a dollar. And I said, no, you know, we, we talked about this before we came in the store. I set expectations for you. You spent all of your money. So the only thing I'm willing to buy you because you just got a brand new toy is books. And you knew that coming in and you agreed. You said, okay, mama. And, you know, we were acting on good faith with each other that you knew you were only getting bucks. So you can't get this toy. Well, of course, that wasn't good enough because now he's fixated on this toy truck. Well, it was missing a wheel and it was missing the remote control. Like it was a very crippled, pitiful truck. And yes, it was only a dollar. And yes, the easiest thing to do would have been to spend a buck and let him buy that truck. But that was not going to teach him the right lesson. What that would have taught him was if he had a big enough fit, he would get what he wanted. And so next time and the time after that, he would automatically be throwing a fit. And that, as you know, is not helpful. So my alternative at that point was to stick steadfastly to the expectations that I had laid out ahead of time. I mean, I already did a good job parenting. I already told him what to expect, what could and could not happen. Um, and so I went into that store under that premise with great confidence because this is what I had learned up to that point to do. And 
even though I did, the wheels still fell off. And so what happened was he had a couple of books in his hand, but he really wanted to trade the books for the truck. And he didn't understand why a dollar's worth of books did not equate to a dollar for this dilapidated toy truck. And it, you know, it wasn't just a matter of that. It was a matter of the fact that I had laid out an expectation and we had to follow it. And we especially had to follow it when his behavior started to disintegrate. And he ended up having a full blown in the floor, screaming bloody murder, pushing on my body, pulling on my body, absolute meltdown in the middle of this Goodwill store, right next to the register, of course, where everybody could see. And I remained calm, you know, I'd learned by then that I had to remain calm, and try to get him out of the store. And so his dad and his sister immediately fled the store, of course, and left me there to deal with it. um, Because they were both super embarrassed. And at that point, I had already learned not to be embarrassed. I had already learned that that was not going to be helpful to me to be embarrassed. What I needed to do was focus on my son who was having a hard time. So I was doing that. And I was talking, trying to you know, talk him out the door, which did not work. I tried to calm him, it did not work. And I said, you know, you can't get anything at this point, because now you've had a fit, and you couldn't follow instructions, and we have to go. And eventually, I just had to start walking toward the door, because there was nothing I could do to encourage him or talk him into walking out willingly with me. So my hope was that as I started walking and he realized that no one in the family was still with him and staying in the store, that he would follow me. And at first he kind of didn't. And then right as I walked through the door, and mind you, we weren't far from the door anyway, I could still see him the whole time I was leaving. Um, Once I got to the door, he started running after me. And he, I want the books, I want the books, I want the books, you know, he realized that he was not going to ever talk me into getting him that toy truck. But maybe he could still get the books, which he couldn't. Because at this point, you know, I had already told him at least five times before I started walking toward the door, that it was his last chance to choose to get the books or to choose to get nothing. And by not following through with the books, he was automatically getting nothing because, again, you can't reward that behavior. And while we understand it, while we understand that our kids' brains are different and they're sensitive and they're, you know, their brain is flooded by emotion and they're emotionally intense and we get all of these things, it still doesn't mean that we can reward the behavior that's born out of that. We still have to teach and encourage better, more appropriate behavior. Um, And we can't expect it all the time, but we can expect that we're going to get there eventually when our child gets there. And so he's running behind me out the door. I get right through, you know, their automatic doors, they open to the sides, we walk through, and he grabs it was winter, of course, because we were snowed in our house before this. He grabs my coat 
And with his whole little body, which maybe was 50 pounds, he pulls on my coat behind me and takes his feet off the ground. And he's trying to use himself as a weight to prevent me from moving. And in that moment, I was trying to step off the curb and uh, he and I nearly both tumbled into the asphalt face first. I don't know how we didn't, but in this whole time, he's screaming bloody murder. I want the books. I want the books, you know, and the doors are hanging open. And I describe, you know, when I tell the story in the books, it was like the stage curtain was hanging open and we were putting on a show and that was uncomfortable, but I still couldn't focus on that. I still had to focus on what my son needed and what was happening to him and happening in his brain at that moment. And mind you, I really didn't understand a meltdown yet. This was my aha for what a meltdown is and what the difference between a meltdown and a temper tantrum is. And so, you know, I'm still trying to rationalize with him. I'm still saying to him, buddy, you know, I, and I said it exactly this calmly and kindly. I said, buddy, I can't get you those books now. I really wanted you to have those books. I totally want you to have those books. But you know, I can't get them for you now because of the behavior that you just had. And you know that I can't reward that. You know that we have to leave today without the books, but another day we'll get to get some books. And he could not break out of it at this point. I'm almost physically dragging him to the car. I locked arms with him. I'm walking. He's pulling backwards, but we're making some progress through the parking lot very slowly. And the whole time he's now on auto repeat. And that's really what it sounded like. And that's really what finally clued me in to realize that he was not in control of himself. And his brain had really kind of been hijacked. He said, I want the books, I want the books, I want the books, over and over, probably 40 or 50 times before his brain quit being stuck in that cycle. And we were sitting, you know, we finally got in the car, and his dad had to physically pick him up, put him in the car, close the door. Um, fortunately, the car we had at the time had the suicide doors on. Um, so you had a big front door, and only a little back door and the front doors had to open to open the back doors. So he could not just let himself out and start running. Um, which was a good thing. So, you know, we asked him to buckle so that we could go. He would not buckle. He was still not saying anything but chanting, I want the books, I want the books, I want the books. And his dad and I sat in the front seat of the car and cried and realized that it was like his brain was a record and it was stuck in a scratch and it was just repeating and he couldn't move the needle, so to speak, and we couldn't move the needle. And at the time, we had no idea what to do. Um, finally, his um, 
repetitive vocalizations started to slow down and his crying started to soften a little. And I started to realize that he was working his way out of it. And so after a minute or two of that, where it really did start to taper a little bit, I asked him if he wanted a snack, if he if something to eat would help him. We had been to the store before that and we had some snacks in the back of the car and and he said yes and then we had him back with us you know he was engaging with us his brain was unstuck and we were able to get him a snack we were able to get him to buckle we were able to move on and it was a very traumatic experience and I know some of you are going to listen to that and say well your kid had a fit big deal but it was so much bigger than that. And I know it's cliche to say you had to be there, but you really did have to be there to understand the magnitude of what that was like, to understand the intensity of his meltdown and to understand the 1000% lack of control or influence that any of us had over the situation. That helpless feeling, especially as a parent, is crushing. But what came of that, and that day and that experience was that I realized because of course, you know, I went home the next day, I got up and I said, I'm googling this, my kid's brain was like stuck. And I'm googling and I'm going to figure out what the heck is happening here. And I did and I ended up finding um, an article about meltdowns for kids with autism. Now, mind you, we didn't have an autism diagnosis for like another four years after this. And at that point in time, we didn't even ever speculate autism. ADHD was very prominent. And that's what we saw. Um, it, but in reading the description of what a meltdown was, it was completely obvious that that is exactly what had happened. And it stated very clearly, a tantrum, your child's in control, they're working for a goal, if they get the goal, it shuts off. A meltdown, your child is not in control. Their brain has hijacked them. And it must cycle out. So what does that mean for you in the way that you approach meltdowns? First of all, if you get to that point that I just described, where your kid has what I call has already gone off the cliff, they're already in that stuck cycling, you cannot do anything, but make sure they are safe, show empathy and compassion, and wait it out. You cannot make it stop. It is cycling in the brain, and it's just going to have to run its full course. Sadly, that is the reality. Um, but what you can do is you can influence these situations ahead of time so that you don't get into full-blown, fallen-over-the-cliff meltdown. And one big way to do that is to discover what triggers your child, what triggers intense outbursts, what triggers tantrums, and start working on that. Usually, um, that includes lagging skills. You know, again, Ross Green, who I love and talk about in every episode, um, talks about this in great detail. A lot of unwanted behavior is the product of lagging skills because ADHD 
and autism are both developmental disorders. Your child with ADHD is as much as 30% behind their same age peers. So my eight-year-old was more like a five-year-old in that moment, in his skills for frustration tolerance, in his skills for flexibility, um, in his skills for seeing the bigger picture, seeing that another day he can get books, and that it's not so far in the future that it can't be imagined. You know, all of these lagging skills played into the intense reaction that happened that then boiled over into this uncontrolled meltdown. So when you're um, Dr. Green has an amazing checklist on his site for free on livesinthebalance.org. You can download it. It's called, for short, it's called the ALSUP, A-L-S-U-P. That is an acronym. Um, and so you can go through that checklist and determine what the probable lagging skills are that are causing some of your behavior woes with your child. And then you have um, a way to create a plan of action to then start positively affecting when these situations come up, when their lagging skills are taxed, when um, they start to get emotionally intense, when they start to have a tantrum or an outburst. Now you can see what might lead to that and start changing something in your approach, their environment, improving those skills so that you get to a place where you really can affect change. You really can reduce the times that you get into full-blown meltdown. You can reduce the intensity of these emotional outbursts. You know, so in his case, in the Goodwill Store episode, um, it was frustration tolerance was poor. Um, his time blindness, you know, not being able to see past this moment right now was a factor in that. Um, his just natural emotional intensity and um, kind of poor emotional communication skills were at play there. And Definitely sensory processing was at play there. The chaos of the way the store was laid out kind of was creating this discomfort for him that was keeping him on edge that made it very easy to fall off the cliff. He was already, his brain was kind of on high alert. Um, so any little thing was going to create kind of this explosion. So you know, sometimes it takes one of these meltdowns to realize that, you know, they're always going to happen at the Goodwill store. Well, my kid doesn't go to the Goodwill store. I rarely do. I just don't have time to do that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I don't take him. And now at 15 and a half, he could probably handle it a whole lot better. You know, we've improved in skills over the last eight years, really, really monumentally. Um, they're not all the way better. You know, they're not fixed. They're not age appropriate. Still these skills, there is no perfection. But you know, the improvement between that eight year old kid and my 15 and a half year old kid now it's like night and day. It's like a different child almost in a lot of ways. And so, you know, I want your takeaway to be that yes, it's hard. 
And yes, it's going to take practice to be able to manage these situations, much less start to think more clearly and and have a better awareness about them and be able to start changing or improving these situations. Um, But you can get there. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You cannot just decide to change something and have it change, you know, and that's the way we're programmed as parents, you know, we're taught the societal norm of parenting through what I call crime and punishment. And so if you break a rule, I'm going to give you enough pain in that punishment that you're not going to break that rule again. And I don't mean physical pain. I just mean that the consequence, the punishment is painful for the child in some way, painful enough that they will never do that thing again. But that is no way to parent. It's no way to parent any child, but it definitely doesn't work with our kids. What works so much better is improving skills and improving those interactions and those responses so that we don't have to worry about, you know, such inappropriate behavior. And, you know, again, Ross Green says kids do well if they can. Do you think he walked into that store wanting to have a meltdown, wanting to look like a quote, bad kid? Absolutely not. He had every intention walking into that store with me to get some books, be super happy, and you know, go on with life. That was not something that he chose to do. And that's the really big difference here. Tantrum is a choice. A meltdown is physically out of their control. And I want you to really understand that and start living through that perspective and that truth and parenting through that perspective and that truth, because that's where you're going to find success with your child. It sits in that place. And some of you will say, well, what does it really matter what we call it, Penny? What does it matter if I call it a tantrum or I call it a meltdown? Technically, the word you use, the label you give it doesn't matter. But psychologically, it makes a huge difference. Now that you know what a meltdown is, what a tantrum is, what the differences are, that one is your child's willful behavior, and one is your child's brain hijacking their behavior. When you call it a meltdown, psychologically, you're already in that space of more compassion and understanding. That's why it really matters to know the difference and to call them by what they really are. So, you know, I want you to finish listening to this episode and walk away with one, the idea that you're going to start identifying triggers by using Ross Green's download at livesinthebalance.org or um, by just sitting down on your own and writing out um, what you perceive as possible triggers. Um, In my book, What to Expect when parenting kids with ADHD or children with ADHD, there is um, a chapter walking you through discovering these lagging skills and stuff as well. Um, 
So, you know, there are tools out there to use, or you can just try to wing it. Um, the good thing about using the tools is they're giving you an idea of what these lagging skills are. And I had no idea without reading Ross Green's The Explosive Child. That was the first time I heard, hey, your kid is behind with some stuff. And here's the skills that he's behind in. And look at that. That could be an explanation for the behavior. Um, I, you know, I, we had a diagnosis for two years by that time. We, I can't even count how many hundreds, hundreds of hours I spent obsessively researching and reading about ADHD because I was desperate to help my kid. And I did not ever come across this idea of lagging skills and what is the reason behind behavior until I picked up that book two years into it. So I would highly, highly recommend it as I have done in many podcasts and many blog posts and many forum answers. And you know, I'm constantly um, guiding people toward Green's work because it's phenomenal and it can change your lives. So next time your kid is getting intense, Remember that rationalizing won't work. Mirroring their intensity is not going to work. It's only going to make them more intense. Um, but showing compassion, empathy, validating their feelings, and understanding what is actually happening to them is going to help in so, so many ways. I hope that this has really given you a very clear understanding. The show notes for this episode, I will link to the ALSIP and the book of Dr. Green's. Um, those show notes will be available to you at parentingadhdandautism.com slash 035. This is episode 035. And I encourage you to start a conversation in the comments there on the show notes. Start talking about what's working for you, what kind of your ahas are um, in regard to lagging skills and intense outbursts and meltdowns. And, you know, feel free to ask questions. I answer every single comment that you guys leave on my website, every comment. So, you know, absolutely ask me questions. There may be some aspects to this that I didn't think to talk about on this episode. So with that, I'm going to close. I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Parenting ADHD podcast. Take good care. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.